Let's turn to the book of 1 Peter. Tonight, another awesome passage of Scripture where Peter's encouraging the believer. Let me ask a question now. How many of us here tonight are excited about heaven? That's pretty weak, but a few out there. So, I'm setting you up because if you're so excited about heaven, why, like me, are we so concerned about the things of this earth? Why are we fretting over the politics? Why are we fretting over the coronavirus? Why are we fretting over the stock market? Why are we fretting over no trips to Hawaii? All these things, if I'm so concerned and so filled with this idea of going to heaven. Well, you know what? We're human, and it is normal. I remember years ago, now you may not believe this, but even in ministry we have bad days. It's not all sitting around reading your Bible, praying, and drinking coffee, guys. Trust me. But years ago, and I used this illustration before, years ago, I was having a day that I was actually uh, plotting my exit strategy. I'd had enough. Things were just over the top, and I'm done. And um, I was on my way over to see Steph in the children's ministry. I was going through the, the middle tunnel over there and uh, walking through and just kind of just, man, my lower lip's hanging down, and I my head's done. And, but I, I'm walking up the steps, and I got to look up so I don't trip. And when I look up, I see it cross the 405 to that 10-story building over there, and they had just put up um, the logo for a new company that had taken, you know, property over there in that building. And the word, the logo for the company was the letter C, Beyond. Anybody remember you using that before? C, Beyond. C, Beyond. And I saw that, and I looked at that. It was one of those, those times when God just says, Rob, the only way you're going to make it and you're going to endure in this life is if you're able to see beyond all the stuff of this world, all the stuff of this life, all the stuff you're dealing with right now. Because the stuff of this world, the stuff of this life isn't going anywhere. Matter of fact, it's getting worse. It's going to get worse. And sad to say, I don't think we've seen anything yet. But how are we going to be able to see beyond and how are we able to get beyond all that's going on here so it doesn't drag us down? So it doesn't take our eyes off of heaven, off the hope and the promise that even tonight, while I'm teaching right now, I can sit here and watch you guys all just leave your tennis shoes. And mine too, prayerfully. So <laughs> that'd be a bummer, huh? Man, Lord, what? You know, all of us here, so... It ain't going to happen. But the thing is, guys, when I take my eyes off of Jesus, when I take my eyes off of heaven, when I look at all this stuff that's going on in this world, man, do we get stumbled or what? And so turn with me. I know we were in the book of 1 Peter, but turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, guys. And I, I want you to turn to these passages of Scripture because you need to know the addresses. Now, I could... I could quote this passage. I have it memorized in my heart, but I want you guys to go to it. I want us to read it together because this passage has been a go-to for me for many years for when I am in that place where I'm just overwhelmed with the stuff of this life and it's just bringing me down. And I love what Paul says here. Now, if I interchange Paul and Peter in our studies, don't worry about it, okay? Because I've taught so much from Paul's epistles. 
I'm teaching from Peter's, as you know, and I might mix them up. So, oh, you know, Peter and Paul was a candy bar anyhow, right? Isn't that a candy bar? <laughs> I know, that's pretty bad, huh? <laughs> anyhow, chapter 3 of Colossians, Paul says this, verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Read it with me, brothers, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Where's Christ? Right now. Amen. And set your mind, verse 2, on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, brothers. That's the, oh, that's the hard part. I'm still alive, though. No, you died. You died. You died to this world. You died to the flesh. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, you then also will appear with him in glory. Back to 1 Peter, guys. Man, see, that's the key right there, you guys. That's one of those see beyond scriptures that keeps us realizing, you know what, man, set my mind on things above, seek those things which are above, and then I'm set free. I'm set free because in reality, guys, when we think about this, even the election, in the scope of worldwide Christianity, who becomes the president of the United States, I think matters almost zero. Now, we know that in the political realm and the world as it is, who is the president of the United States, matters tons. But not, I don't think, from God's perspective, as he looks at that person in India, that person in the Philippines, that person in Uganda, wherever around the world that is just scrounging for food right now, just barely getting by. God's heart breaks for that person. God loves that person, and he wants that person to go to heaven. Do you think that person cares who the president of the United States is? No. They're looking for their next meal. And so for us, guys, this, this life that is next, this life of heaven, man, that's what Paul said. That's where Christ is. And Christ, who is our life, is alive, you guys. We sang about it tonight. And this is the living hope that we have in Jesus. And this is how Peter masterfully, remember, he he introduces, he starts that greeting, you know, hey guys, encouraging you that you're the elect, chosen by God to, to receive salvation, but also in your dispersion, also in your trials and your sufferings and such, man, God is for you, God is with you. And so now Peter, again, going to bring this, this message of hope. And the great thing about a word like this, and of course our word, our Bible, is that today, the same word written approximately 64 A.D. How many years ago was that? couple. Written so long ago is still bringing hope and encouragement to us today. Now, like we said last week, we're not suffering. We're not being persecuted. We're not hurting a bit in reality compared to these guys. Amen? Amen. Not at all. None of us are being chased down. None of us are being killed. None of us are being, our lives threatened. People on this planet as Christians, that is happening to them today, but not here in, in the Torrance Guardian of California, not even. So, Paul, so Peter here, of course, encouraging them to give them this hope. And with hope, guys, we know we can survive anything. Without hope, we're toast. And I've used this illustration before as well, and maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've even read it. You can Google it. But there was a true scientific study with Norwegian wharf rats. And the whole idea behind this was to really actually see what the power of hope could do. So they take these rats, right? 
and they drop them in the, the, the tubs in the water, drop them in there, and they just watch. And, and on average, these rats lasted 17 minutes in the water before going under. And they would let them go under, and they would let them go down. Kind of sick, kind of morbid, but they would let them drown. But they would let some of them go only as long as they get their watch, watch, boom. And they'd pull them out. Kind of like a little bit of a born-again experience. Pulled out at the last second, dry them off, clean them up a little bit, feed them a little bit of food, give them some comfort, and then they would drop them back in the tub. And their life expectancy, the, their survival rate went from 17 minutes, think about this, to 35 hours. All because of the power of hope. Because they were hoping, they're looking up going, I know somebody's going to reach down and save me. And that's the same thing with us. We have that hope that Jesus is going to reach down and go, poof, you're out of here in the nick of time. Anybody praying for that tonight? That's the power of hope, you guys. And that's what we have. Because you know what? More than likely, Christ isn't going to come before many of us go and see him. If you know what I mean. If I need to spell that out, you old timers, <laughs> you're getting close. You're getting closer. We're all close. We all have a finish line. But man, we have this hope, you guys. In our passage, Peter introduces the reality of hope, and it's a living hope. Because Peter knew that in the midst of persecution, they needed hope more than anything. And hope, you guys, this hope we're talking about is a confident expectation, a belief that it will happen. It's not like the hope when you go into your supermarket or whatever and you buy your lotto ticket and you're sitting there going man i hope i win this lotto ticket because you more than likely are never going to win the lottery amen it ain't the same kind of hope this is a hope that we can bank our lives on our souls on our eternity on guys that we do have this living hope and jesus christ of course is the one who's prepared it for us because if you lose hope if hope is lost you're done Think about it. You lose hope in a marriage, and what happens? Exactly. You lose hope with your kids, and there's, there's coldness, there's separation. Lose hope in your job, and, and you feel worthless. You lose hope with, with humanity which we have going on today. You lose hope with the humanity and there's, you're bitter and you're cynical about everything. You lose hope with life. And then what happens? What do people do? And you lose hope with God and you lose your faith. And guys, we cannot lose hope. We cannot lose hope. And, and this passage of scripture, I love it. I love what Peter says here. It's perfect for us tonight, you guys. He instills this hope because we have, number one, a living hope because of the resurrection in verse 3. We have a living hope because of our future, verse 4 through 5. We have a living hope while in our trials, verse 6 through 7. And fourth, we have a living hope that results in joy, verses 8 through 9. So number one, verse 3, a living hope because of the resurrection. Here he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this is one of my most favorite passages of Scripture. I have this memorized 
this actually was the very first passage of scripture I, I actually did like anything in the public as far as sharing. I couldn't say it was a teaching. They told me to do devotional. I had no idea what a devotional was. And I didn't know how in the world I even stumbled upon this passage of scripture. I kid you not. This was back when I was at the Nazarene church. But I, I went there and it's it stuck with me ever since. It's one of those passages of scripture that you can read it especially when you get to verse 9, receiving as the outcome of your faith. And by that time, you're better to dance around and do some backflips because you're receiving the salvation of your soul. Amen? Amen. So we have a living hope because of the resurrection. And Peter, he establishes the vital importance of the resurrection, you guys. The resurrection of Jesus. It's God's pledge that we will be resurrected, raised up, immortal. And what you believe about the resurrection, you guys, is, is not negotiable. If you are a born-again Christian, if you're truly saved, you have to believe in the resurrection. Why? Because it's the gospel. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians 15. Here it is, guys, verses 1 through 4. The resurrection, of course, is all a part of the gospel. And if you don't believe in the resurrection, you cannot truly say that you are saved. Because that is our salvation, the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. And, and Paul lays it out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you what? Okay, rest of you guys who are sleeping, wake up. Nudge the guy next to you. I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are what? What's that word there? Saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for here it is, verse 3, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, amen, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he what? Rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Here it is, guys, the gospel, the resurrection. Jump to verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he was been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Now, listen, guys, this is important. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. We ain't going anywhere, guys. We're not going nowhere. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But... Verse 20, yeah, I love these butts. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, but man, but by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ, the first fruits afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, 
And he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And here it is. I love this. The last enemy will be destroyed is. Say that like you mean it, brothers. It's death. Come on now. I know there's. I know you're far back there, but anyhow, so we see this living hope. And the resurrection, guys, it's the crux of Christianity because when he rose again the third day, he destroyed the devil, he destroyed sin, and he destroyed death. So we have a living hope. Why? Number one, because Jesus is alive. Say with me, Jesus is alive. And where is he alive right now? The right hands we read. He's alive. And, of course, the scriptures speak of it. We're right there in 1 Corinthians 15. Again, verse 4 says that he was seen by Peter, then the 12, then the 500 at once, seen by James, and then finally Paul. Acts 1, verse 2, 3, he presented himself alive to the disciples. Galatians 1, 1 says God the Father raised him from the dead. Revelation 1, 18 says, I am he, speaking of himself, who lives and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Revelation 4, 9, saying the creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Revelation 5, 14 says the creatures fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. He is alive, guys, right now in heaven. He's alive in our hearts. He's not dead. Praise God. Jesus is alive from the dead, resurrected, you guys. We had this living hope. He was not resuscitated. He was resurrected. People, and I'll give you a, an example. Years ago, 10 years ago, actually, uh, we were in Palm Springs. We were at the Esmeralda. And this is a long story, but I'll, I'll condense it because of time. But we were there with 15 of my family members. We're at the, uh, anybody remember the Esmeralda, the pools there, whatever? Huge pool area. Anyhow, we're having a great time. Beautiful. Oh, my gosh, it's going to be great. And then... I kid you not, 20 feet over my left shoulder, a, a kid two months shy of his four-year-old birthday drowns. We're there. I'm teaching my niece to swim. All of a sudden, over my right shoulder, I hear this blood curdling. I can still hear it today. Scream of a mother saying, is that my baby? Is that my baby? I look at her. She's looking at me. I look, I look, I look over here, and they're, they're pulling this kid out. One guy's pulling up. Handing up to another man who we found out was the uncle. And immediately, everything goes crazy. Now, my wife's a nurse, and what happened after that is, is super blurry. But before we knew it, we found ourselves. She was the first one to him. Had him on the chair. We moved him to the, the ground for uh, more stability. And within 30 seconds, there were two other nurses. And basically, this kid, he was clinically dead, meaning no pulse and no respirations but he was not completely dead. And so it, it was a miracle, you guys. They worked on him. They got finally a smidgen of a heartbeat going. By the time the paramedics got there, he was still not breathing yet. Amazing story. I go to the hospital, find out that the dad worked with one of my sons at Lamita Park right here. He recognized my name on the business card, Rob Stoffel. He asked me if I worked at Lamita Park. No, it was my son, Rob, so it was a crazy story. But anyhow, long story short, the kid's doing great. He celebrates his 14th birthday on October 16th. We're still in touch with the family. They've actually come to the church before. It's this amazing story. Anyhow, I say all that because he was resuscitated. Jesus was dead, you guys. He was resurrected 
from the dead. He was fully dead. And saying all that to demonstrate the power of God over death. Because there's a lot of people think that Jesus never really died. It was just kind of like a, a spiritual thing. It was just kind of, um, you know, an emanate, not an emanation, but just an image or, or, or like a vision of sorts. No, he was fully dead. So Jesus being alive, you guys, that's the resurrection. That's the hope. And because Jesus is alive, number two, we are alive. We have a living hope. John eleven twenty five. Jesus saying to Martha, saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, what? He shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe that you're never going to die? That's the living hope that we have, you guys. We're not going to die. Yes, praise God, this tent's going to die, amen? Anybody want to take this tent to heaven? It's struggling, bro. I'm up here. I had to put more lights in here. I can't, I can't even see this anymore. It's getting bad. I'm telling you. Because he is alive, we are alive, you guys. And without the resurrection, we have no hope of being resurrected. But because of the resurrection, we have this hope. And in this life, and the one to come. And since Jesus was raised from the dead, we will be raised from the dead as well. And of course, you say you believe this, but do you really believe that? Believe that, you guys. And, of course, you have to believe that. So Jesus is alive from the dead. We have the living hope. But also, because of his mercy, we have this living hope. And, of course, it says right here, who, according to his abundant mercy, you guys, has begotten us or has caused us to be born again to this living hope. All because of his abundant mercy, this great, this boundless mercy. And, and I love the word mercy. It's one of his greatest attributes, characteristics, God and his mercy. You read through the Psalms, his mercy, what? Endures forever. His love endures forever, but his mercy endures forever. And this characteristic, when you read about this, this idea of mercy, remember when God spoke to Moses in Exodus, Exodus chapter 25, verse 17, he was telling him how to build the tabernacle, but also how to build the ark. And remember the mercy seat. Remember that, you guys? He says, build a mercy seat. And this is where it says here that this is where God was going to minister. He was going to meet with us, and he was going to speak with us. He was going to meet with Moses. He was going to meet with the children right there from the mercy seat. And what's important about this, guys, is to remember that that is the position from where God ministers to me and you. From a position of mercy, you guys. Understand that. Believe that. God is merciful. I mean, a lot of times we think that, you know, man, God is just waiting to smack us upside the head. How many of you guys were Catholics when you grew up? And, and it was instilled in you, man, you mess with that nun, what was going to happen? Whoa, baby. I mean, I heard some stories about those nuns. And it's sad to say, that was your, you were scared of God. Man, you, you look cross-sided, you're going to hell in a handbasket, it's over with. No. God, because of his mercy, his mercy on us, he knew we needed a Savior. He knew we couldn't get to heaven. And he knew we couldn't raise ourselves from the dead. It was all because of his mercy, you guys. The position of mercy. And of course, Paul expounded on that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, 
made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you've been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. Man. And because he is merciful, number four, you guys, you be merciful also. Man, got to have this in your hearts. Are you a merciful person? Do you deal with your kids in a merciful way? Or is it the letter of the law? You know what? You cross the line. It's time to get the paddle out. No, I'm sure there are some guys who still got kids that you can paddle. But for the most of us, you know, do you deal with your wives with mercy, your coworkers, your family members, your neighbors that drive you crazy? Be merciful, you guys. Why should we be merciful? What did Jesus say in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, brothers. I had to throw that in there. Do you need mercy? Be merciful, you guys. So number one, we have a living hope because of the resurrection. The number two now, up on the screen, right? Bam! Get it switched, brother. Come on. Come on, switch it. The next one, there you go. We have a living hope because of our future. Love you, Dan. You're awesome. Verse 4 and 5. Here we go. Verse 4. So we have this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, verse 4, incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Brothers, this is the last time, and I pray that salvation comes today, tonight. Wouldn't that be awesome? But we have a living hope because of our future, you guys. What is our future? Man, you think about it, left to ourselves, left on this earth before Christ. I don't know about you, but uh, my future was looking pretty rough. It was looking bleak. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, having no hope, of course, as Paul said, without hope, without God in the world. And, and it's good to remember those days, you guys. And of course, in teaching and studying for these Bible studies, God brings these remembrances to my mind. But I remember years ago, I was at the, the, the main doors as people were going out, shaking hands, saying goodbye, and this, this lady walks up to me. And she walks up to me, she goes, do you, do you remember a guy named John White? Oh, yeah, John White, yeah. Crazy partying guy, whatever. Oh, she goes, yeah, well, I'm his sister. Oh, no kidding. Hi, how are you, whatever, whatever. And she goes, yeah, but you probably don't remember, but back, way back, me and my mom actually used to live above you in the apartment above you over on Arlington and 236th Street. Um, I could have crawled in a hole. I was like, I am so, so sorry. So sorry you have that remembrance and that memory. And she, of course, was very gracious and everything, but we tortured those people. Anybody in that apartment complex, I mean, and the thing about it was I lived there with a group of guys and and we partying all the time. We had the apartment manager, her, late, her name was Faye, Faye Copeland, sweet old lady, but we had her so sweet talk that we could get away with murder. I mean, we could do whatever we wanted. And the crazy thing, I was in the grocery industry and I was working the, um, the swing shift. So I would get off work, me and the guy that was living there, we'd get off work at 1.30 in the morning, do the 4.30 to 1.30 deal. And we would come home and dudes, we would just start partying and everything. Of course, we weren't crazy about it. I mean, we were pretty crazy. But she would, her excuse to their complaints was, well, you know, everybody has a right to do something when they get off of work. So 
You just got to kind of deal with it. <laughs> Mercy, yes. Oh, my gosh. Yikes, man. Bygone days. Days dead in sin. But God. Say it with me. But God, you guys. Rich in mercy. Because of our future, number one, our future is our inheritance. And this heavenly inheritance is not like the inheritance you get on earth. And if you're lucky enough to get an inheritance on earth, oftentimes you get it. And it's gone as fast as you get it because it's like money burning a hole in your pocket. This inheritance, you guys, man, number one, it is incorruptible. Cannot be damaged, destroyed, or ruined. It is undefiled, not stained, tainted, or impure. It, it was obtained legally. And sometimes the earthly inheritance, as those things go, there's a little shenanigans going on with family members and backdoor dealings and all this kind of stuff. Gets a little crazy. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It does not fade away. It's not going to run out. It's not going to lose its luster. It's never going to get old. And this part here, number four, reserved in heaven for you. I love that. I love that, you guys. It means to be kept and guarded by God. And brothers, your reservations are in. And your reservation has been made by God. And I, who, who doesn't love reservations? I mean, Friday, I got reservations out of the Hyatt in Palm Springs. Actually, the hotel right across the way from the Esmeralda. But I got reservations, baby. My, my, I'm ready to go. And, and I tell you, one of, one of the greatest times we had reservations, we were in Maui. And we were at Dukes. Anybody knows Dukes and Kanapali over there? And so we'd called ahead to get reservations. And it's an awesome place. It's right on the... The, the walkway that goes from all the hotel road there and, and you know, it's just beautiful. It's right on the, ah, it was amazing. So we come pulling up. We had reservations. We come pulling up. Places packed. People everywhere. I mean, just falling all over the place. And we're like, oh, my gosh, we're, we're never going to get in. Oh, oh, man, whatever. We're in Hawaii, kind of, right? So we walk up to the receptionist. Um, hi, just checking in. My reservation's at 5 o'clock. She's up. Oh, oh, Mr. Stovall, yeah, yeah. Well, oh, come here, come right this way. It was awesome, brothers. It was awesome, man. And you should have seen the envious look on the people's faces because we went right to our table. It was a table out on the, the, the beach there. And on my phone, actually, the front part of my phone is actually the picture I took of my wife right there at Duke's. Amazing shot, amazing place. But anyhow, having reservations, you guys, is amazing. And our reservations, oh, man, they're in. They're made by God. They're confirmed, you guys. And I love that idea. And number five, though, kept by God. We are kept by God. Our salvation is kept by God through faith, of course. And, and this idea is that we take possession. We will take possession of our inheritance, and, and we're going to have that set up and ready for us. So number two, though, a living hope because of our future. So what is this inheritance, though, you guys? What is this reserved heavenly inheritance? Well, I wrote down five things here. Number one, it's a new body. Is that up there in the notes? Bah, bah, bah. There we go. Number one, new body. When we get to heaven, we get a new body. Philippians 3.20, Paul's saying this, for our citizenship is in heaven. Amen from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body, this earthly body, 
that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he's able even to subdue all things to himself. And of course, when we do funerals, one of the greatest things there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is what Paul talks about, that when this body, this earthly tent, we have a new one prepared not by earthly hands, but by God himself in heaven. Of course, that's what we talk about, mansion. We have a mansion in heaven. We always joke and tease us, you know, we, all, we got a big house in heaven. But the mansion is this body, you guys. Amazing. You have a new body. Number two, a new name. Awesome. Jesus speaking, Revelations 2, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden man to eat, and I will give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Think about that for a minute. So cool. What's your new name going to be? Probably for me, it'd be like Shorty or something, you know. <laughs> Maybe some of you might be Baldy, Pelone out there, whatever. <laughs> I'm looking at my brother Nas. He's got the hat on, but he's, he's got a shiner, baby. It looks good. He's got a good looking hat. Beautiful looking hat. Let me head. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? New body, new name, number three, a new way of life. Revelation 21.4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. It's gone, you guys. It's a whole brand new way of living in heaven. Whole brand new way of living. Man, completely changed. And, and, and I love sharing this passage of scripture at funerals to encourage people because there's going to come a time. Because in this life, if there's anything we learn, there's sorrow, there's pain, there's tears, there's suffering. And a lot of it ties in with the loss of a loved one. It's, ah, it's just the way it is. Number four, though, no more sin. Think about that for a minute, guys. And we, we don't even know how to even imagine that because we are in sin. We were born in sin. We live in sin. Sin is all around us. Sin is creeping at our door, as we know. No more sin. Revelation 21, 27. Nothing impure will enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life will enter into the city of God. No sin. No sin in heaven. And number five. Life eternal in the presence of God. Man, can you say amen to that, brothers? Revelation 21, 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself will be with them. This is what is reserved in heaven for you who believe. And in this you greatly rejoice. Our future inheritance. The number two, though, our future, of course, will be in paradise, you guys. And, of course, we, we know the scriptures, but I love reading them. Three places in scripture where it talks about heaven being paradise. Of course, the first one, we all know the famous one, Jesus saying to the thief on the cross, Today you shall be with me. Say that like you mean it. In paradise. Come on. And then Paul, of course, in 2 Corinthians 14, when he's telling the story of, of when he was stoned, I believe, over there 
in Acts chapter 14, and he's left for dead. I believe that's where he had this experience of either in the body or in the spirit. I don't know, but he was lifted up to the third heaven, and he says he was caught up into paradise. That's what he saw, and then he heard. He saw, he heard, he heard inexpressible words, words that it's not lawful for a man to utter because it's like trying to describe something so amazingly I mean, I don't think beautiful is even the right word to use because we have no concept, you guys. I, I know we all have in our mind what you paradise. And for me, honestly, Hawaii. Hawaii, to me, I can say, this is paradise, man. It's amazing. And yet, what is heaven going to be like? Hawaii will be pale in comparison. It'll be, it'll be Hawaii in, I guess we're at 4K now. What's, you know, what's it going to be? A million K. Or whatever, you know, the, the definition of the TVs, whatever. So we see this. Our future is in paradise. And so we have this, number two, living hope because of our future. Then number three, though, we have this living hope while in our trials. Now, I've said this before. This is, this is the passage of Scripture that Peter could have left out. I like this. Verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in last time, in the first part of verse 6, in this he greatly rejoiced. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And skip all the way to verse 8, but he doesn't. Verse 6, Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have a living hope, guys, though, while in our trials. Anybody involved in any trials right now? You know, it's been said, you're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or going into a trial. That's just Christianity 101, as you learn. Jesus said it best, John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. And of course, that's the whole idea here. <laughs> Stay in Christ. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And because we have this living hope in Jesus, we can endure, guys. We can endure, we can persevere, knowing one, trials are temporary. Bam! Good job, Danny. Trials are temporary. And... When you're in the midst of a trial and someone comes up to you and gives you the old James can count of pure joy, my brethren, whatever, and you want to smack them upside the head, but it is a truth. It's a principle that we have to hold on to. But it's still so difficult to even think that the trial that you're in right now is only temporary. Now, me and my wife just came out of a trial that basically has been going on for four and a half years. And it's not like we're completely out of this trial, but man, I'm going to tell you what, things have gotten certainly a lot better. But Paul, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 18, it's that passage of scripture he talks about. Paul's crazy, if you ask me. Because Paul says that our afflictions are light and momentary. Our momentary light afflictions. He's saying, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. For, 
he goes on to say that for we have these sayings, these, these, these momentary light afflictions, and the purpose is they're working in us a far more an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are what? And the trials that we see are temporal. The things which are unseen are eternal, you guys. And Paul reminds us it's, it is temporary. And even if this trial lasts till the day I die, in light of eternity, it's not even, it's not even a blimp on the radar. Trials are temporary, you guys. Hold on to that promise. You know, and everybody, you, this whole thing with coronavirus, this too shall pass and all these kind of things. It will. Either we're going to die and go to heaven, he's going to come and rapture the church, or they might come up with a cure. Who knows? Trials are temporary. Number two, though, trials are needed. Peter said it, if need be. Because when you, when you honestly sit there and you evaluate, you look back on your last trial, man, maybe the one you're in right now. See, in the midst of it, you'll do anything to get out of it, right? You'll sell your soul to the devil to get out of this trial depending on what the trial is. And sometimes you get in the midst of trials and it's just, oh. I mean, sometimes it can be nothing, but gosh. But look back, looking back on that trial, number one, are you stronger in the Lord? Number two, did God prove himself faithful? And number three, are you closer to Jesus? And God's plan in that with that, your answer should be yes to every one of those questions. So if that's the case, then yes, trials are needed, you guys. We, I hate the fact that you have to say yes to that because I'm just like you. I mean, skip it, man. Green lights and blue skies, I'm good, totally good. But no, I get red lights going down Crenshaw. I cannot stand driving down Crenshaw. Anybody right there with me? I get, I'm serious. I go down Cabrillo. I go down Arlington rather than go down Crenshaw. Can't do it. I get two in the flesh. It's just the way it is. I'm just being honest. Being real with you, brothers. Being real. Trials are temporary. Trials are needed. But number three, though, guys, Peter lays it out here. In this you greatly rejoice, so now for a little while, if need be, you have been what? What's that word? Grieved. You've been grieved by various trials. Trials grieve you guys. Don't let anybody try and tell you different. Suck it up. Stiff upper lip. Men don't cry. Men don't hurt. Men don't show. No way. It's important to understand that even though God has to plan these trials, we are human. Trials take their toll and maybe a parking ticket. Loss of a job. Maybe it's a child on drugs. And that's one of those ones, you know, we throw the question, anybody out there got a, a son that's addicted to heroin? Let me see your hands. You know, ain't nobody going to raise their hand, but I know it's out there. I know it's real. I know it's true. Maybe it's the loss of a family member. Man, takes its toll, you guys. And trials, they can bring you to the, the depths of despair, heartache, brokenness, emptiness, Hopelessness. They grieve, guys. Overwhelming at times. Thank God they are temporary. And yes, they are needed. 
but they do grieve. And number four, though, trials prove genuine faith. What else is God going to do? You've heard it before. Faith untested is a faith that cannot be verified or trusted. Faith untested is a faith that cannot be verified or trusted. And according to Scripture, true faith is precious in God's sight. And see, God has a goal for us in these trials, you guys. And we have this living hope while in trials, of course. And of course, God's, God's plan to develop all of our faith that as we make it through this one and through the next one, and we make it to the next one and the next one and the next one until we come to our heavenly inheritance, you guys, till we reach it. Remember what the Revelation said, he who endures to he who overcomes. Because we could back off. We could throw in the towel. We could, we could turn in the book, so to speak. But trials prove genuine faith until we reach our heavenly inheritance. And that's where we will receive from God. This is how this reads, you guys. That the genuine, verse 7, of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What he's saying here, guys, is that we will receive praise, honor, and glory from God. Wrap your head around that one. When we get to heaven, he is going to say, and we know the scripture, well done, my good and faithful servant. We're going to receive. He's going to, because he knew the testings we went through. He knew what we were going through. He's compassionate. He's merciful. And yet, man, you made it. You made it. Come on in. You made it. You're my child, my son. Come on in. Hey, 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 bringing you up before the crowd. Hey, here's the newest addition to the kingdom of God. Give him a hand. He made it. He he listened to me and stomped on that devil and kept on going, guys. That's an amazing thing. We're going to receive praise from God. Wow. Amazing. So number three, a living hope while in our trials, verse six and seven. Now lastly, number four, we have a living hope that results in joy. Verse, four, verse eight through nine here. Whom having not seen you love and do you not see him now yet believing, you would rejoice with what? Joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Man, because we have been born again, because we have received new life, because Christ is alive, and because we are alive in Christ, man, we <clears throat> have received the outcome of our believing, guys, the salvation of our souls. You guys are saved. Your soul will be saved for eternity, you guys. We have eternal life, and because of this, of course, Peter said they rejoiced. Peter somehow got word, got information back. Man, these believers, these dispersed, these ones that are being persecuted, these who had lost loved ones because of their name in Christ as their Savior, they're rejoicing. They're rejoicing in their salvation. Peter's rejoicing in his salvation. And Peter called it joy inexpressible. What is that? It's a joy so profound as to be beyond the power of words to express. Kind of like the type of joy you would experience if you thought a loved one was dead 
who came back to life. Now, you guys may have remembered the movie We Were Marshall or We Are Marshall. Remember that? Matthew McConaughey's the coach in it, whatever. But it's a true story of the 1970 University of Marshall, Marshall University football team. And <clears throat> this football team coming back on the plane, 75 players, coaches and staff, whatever, it crashes right there in the city. I mean, the whole city knew that the plane crashed. And the whole football program, everything, completely wiped out, completely lost. Horrible, horrible tragedy. Well, there's a scene in the movie that I will never forget this scene, you guys. I don't know if it's actually true, but, you know, of course, Hollywood. But I like the scene anyhow. But the thing is, the point is, okay, one of the ladies whose husband was a coach, she's in her room. She's just obviously completely distraught. Her husband's dead. Everybody's dead, basically. And she's in the room. She's crying. The scene is there. The camera's on her. She's just weeping on the bed. Just imagine that. <clears throat> but all of a sudden, she hears this sound. And, she, and it's the sound that she's familiar with, of course, of her husband's truck. And so slowly it's getting louder. It's getting, she, she starts getting up. She, what, 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 what's going on? She goes to the door, and here her husband is coming out of the truck. And you see the expression. You see what happens. You see the, the light. You see, and she did a masterful job of acting. The acting was amazing because you thought this is real. Her husband was dead. He's alive now. And, of course, he explains that she's like, she's hitting him like, what are you, you just, you just, and it's crazy. He goes, I decided to drive home. She thought he was dead, and he was alive. I hope it's a true story. You could probably Google it. That scene, is that really real? <laughs> Who cares about that? The point is, that would be joy inexpressible. Anybody lost a loved one out there? Imagine if all of a sudden they're dead, and you're weeping, you're crying to your family, and, and, and you go use the restroom, you come back to the hospital bed, and like, they're up having a cup of coffee. What are you going to do? You're going to go crazy with joy. Joy inexpressible, brothers. That's the living hope that we have. That's what results in joy when we have this hope in Jesus Christ. Man, Jesus was dead, but now he's alive. We were dead, and now we are alive. Never to die anymore. So some application for us tonight, guys. How do we maintain this joy, this living hope? How do we keep rejoicing when we look at this world that's falling apart? And it is falling apart, isn't it? Man, like never before in our lives. How do we, guys, number one, keep your eyes on Jesus? None of this is rocket science. We know this, but we got to practice it. Keep your eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12, 1, 2. Therefore, say it with me. Well, you don't have the scriptures. I have them here. You guys need to have these addresses written down. They're up there on the screen. Oh, they're not on the screen. How come this scripture's not on the screen? Oh, I didn't include it. My fault. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. Write those down, you guys. But I'll read them to you, of course. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What's the word? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Eyes on Jesus, Isaiah 26, 3. 
You will keep him in perfect peace. Shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So number one, eyes on Jesus. Number two, remember our citizenship. We talked about this already in Philippians chapter three, where Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. And yes, right now we got kind of like what is called dual citizenship. But my heavenly citizenship overshadows my earthly citizenship because my earthly citizenship is like a temporary visa. I'm only here for a while, but my real home is in heaven. My passport says heaven. My visa might say, you know, towards California. No, citizens of heaven, you guys. Isn't that just comforting to know? This ain't our home. Imagine if it was our home, dudes. Imagine if we'd like, this is it. This is all we got. Ugh, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> I'll tell you that much right now. I know where I would be. Number three, store up treasure in heaven. So, so important. Matthew 6, 19, Jesus speaking. Of course, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust nor destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Why? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you've got a lot of treasure on this earth, that treasure on this earth is an anchor. An anchor to this earth. It's not a sin to have the treasure, but it isn't good to have that treasure having you anchored to this earth. Saying to yourself, Man, Pastor Rob, I don't hope Jesus comes back tonight. I got a lot of dough in the bank, man. I got to spend that thing, you know. I got a lot of things I want to do in this life. I got to travel. I, you know, I got to all. I got to build some more barns for all the stuff. Like, no, no, no. Give it away. Cut it loose. Be free. Treasure in heaven, guys. Store up there. Number four. Let none of these things on earth move you. Quoting from. What was written and quoted of the Apostle Paul there in Acts chapter 20, 24. And none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may finish my race with what? Oh, gosh. With joy. Finish my race with joy. <laughs> That's why you guys are here. You're, you're learning these things. Acts 20, 24, underline it in your Bible and memorize it. Finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And then lastly, number five, it's not on the notes because I added it today. Press on till we get home. What's the scripture for that one, brothers? Philippians, say it with me, Naz. Three. Verse 13, 14, brethren, I do not come out, count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call to God. And Jesus, stand with me, brothers, as we go out in prayer, rejoicing that we have a heavenly inheritance, a living hope in Jesus. Man, our reservations are in, baby. And maybe tonight... Someone's, someone's reservation might get punched tonight. And we're going to be jealous. As <laughs> long as it doesn't hurt, amen? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we again thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have. 
Not a, oh gosh, maybe. No, we know Jesus. You're alive. You're in heaven right now. You're praying for us. You're encouraging us by your spirit, Lord, who is here ministering, dwelling inside of us. And Father, I pray for my brothers, Lord, as they go out into this world, as, as we see the horrible situation that not only this United States is in, but this world is in because of sin, because of the work of the enemy. Thank you, God, that we have been lifted up above it, that we will rise above it, that, Lord, we don't need to be a part of it. We're in it, but we're not of it. So, God, bless, strengthen us as we continue to walk by faith, not by sight, trusting you, Lord, for everything, and that, Lord, the joy that is there in our hearts is because of you, and that, Lord, you're the one who's going to keep us. You're the one who's going to hold us. You're the one that's going to keep us going forward. And so, Lord, again, let nothing move us. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, trusting and believing that, Lord, even tonight you can call us home, Lord. So we're excited. We can't wait to see what you're going to do because, God, we know you're on the throne. You're in control. You're in charge. This is your plan for this world, Lord. So we commit it to you. Bless the guys as they go into their groups. And again, we thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's men said, amen. amen. All right, brothers.